If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is where we're going to be tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And we are in this section here in chapter 14 where we have been looking at what Paul has to say about the gifts and the operations of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the church. And some of you tonight might be thinking, just in light of, you know, what's going on in our world right now, um, Rob, is this really, really relevant for us to be looking at tonight? And, you know, I think it, it is uh, extremely relevant, and this is why. I think in the upcoming months in our country, no matter who ends up winning this election, In the upcoming months that we as Christ followers are going to need more than ever to be walking in the Spirit. That we are going to need to be functioning not in the natural, our natural man, our natural tendencies, but in the supernatural. As people who are being led by the Lord and being moved by the Holy Spirit and who are walking in love. And as we see tonight, this chapter is really all about that. And so we're going to gain some insights on, um, I think, what that's going to look like in, in life and in church. And so it's very, very relevant for us. I also want to mention tonight that um, this coming Saturday was supposed to be the Gaius yard sale. Uh, the Gaius ministry is, they do a yard sale that we use to, um, the funds to support missionaries all over the world. And um, because it is going to rain, I've heard rather extensively this weekend, um, that is being moved to the following Saturday, which I believe is the 14th. So make note of that, please. Well, I'd like you to turn actually over to chapter 12 as we do just a quick review tonight as we jump into this subject. Um, We see there in chapter 12, verse 1, that Paul begins this discussion, this conversation on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He says, now concerning spiritual spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. And that word ignorant means to not ignore, which some people do. Some out of fear that they, they, they just want to ignore. This is, just seems kind of weird to me. I don't want to, any, you know, part of that. And, and so they kind of ignore it. Some, you know, want to try to say that these things that Paul's talking about here are not really for today. Um, and so Paul's saying, don't ignore because I don't want you to be unaware. Um, you need to know the importance. You need to know the function of this. And so he says, don't ignore, but also don't be ignorant is the idea here. That Paul wants us to understand how these are supposed to function. So he gives three chapters, chapters 12, 13, and 14, to this topic. Now we saw a couple weeks ago in chapter 12 that in verses 4 through 11, Paul gives a brief foundational introduction to the gifts of the Holy Spirit where we see three key things. The first is that he tells us that there is a diversity of gifts there in verse 4. A diversity of gifts with the same Spirit, a diversity of functions but the same Lord. And the second thing he tells us is what the purpose of these gifts are. There in verse 7 he says, but the manifestation Manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. That's the purpose, is so that the body of Christ, that believers in general, can be 
profited and built up. And then the third thing that we noted was that the sovereignty of the Spirit in the distribution of these gifts. In verse 11, he says, but one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. And so those are three key things that Paul wanted us to see at the very beginning of this discussion. And then in verses 8 through 10, we saw that um, Paul gives us a brief list of the gifts. And the gifts here in chapter 12 are, are known as the sign or gifts. That they're sort of the gifts that, that deal with more of the, the supernatural, if you would. And then, but in Romans chapter 12, we have a whole other list that are called the ministry gifts. They're gifts of the Holy Spirit that are much more practical. And so here in verses 8, to, eight through 10, he gives us this brief description of the gifts. And then in verses 12 through 31, Paul goes into this brilliant illustration as he describes how the church is formed by the Lord as a body. That the church is not a building, but the church is a group of people that make up the body of Christ. And in this body, there are many members doing different things and different functions, but it's still one body. And no part of the body is less important. And he uses this illustration of the physical body. That, you know, there's not any part of your body that is less important than another part of the body that all flow together. And so he gives this illustration, you know, the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. And the idea is that we can't say to one another, I don't need you, you're not significant. And, and he builds this great illustration of that that what is true in the human body is equally true in the body of Christ. That we're all needed, we all have a place, we all have a significance, and when the body of Christ is functioning in a good way, the people in the body realize that. They understand that, hey, I have a gift, I have a purpose, I have a place, I have a significance here, and I just want to say your purpose is not to just fill a seat, okay? Um, It's important that we understand that. God has gifted us with different gifts to be able to be used. So that was the focus of chapter 12. And we would have expected Paul then to go right into chapter 14 where he starts talking about the function of these gifts and the order of the gifts in the body of Christ, in the church setting, but he pauses and, and to discuss what, what he calls at the end of verse, uh, the end of chapter 12, he calls it the most excellent way. Because the goal of the gifts, remember he told us, the purpose of the gifts is for the profit of all. That's the goal. The purpose of the gifts is for the building up of the body of Christ. And so because of that, Paul wants us to understand, and this is where he pauses, and this is what we looked at last week, that love is the key. And so last week, we looked at chapter 13, which is known as the love chapter, But we saw it and looked at it in its proper context here in this study that Paul's giving on the gifts and functions of the Holy Spirit. How love is the key to the ministry, to these gifts functioning in the right way. And without love, all the knowledge and all the gifts in the world aren't worth anything. It's just a bunch of noise and it's not worth anything at all. Now, I want you to remember What we call the book of 1 Corinthians was really a letter that Paul wrote to this church. 
So I want you to think about a letter that somebody gives you. Um, you know, in letters, in most letters, people don't put chapters, okay, in letters. The chapters that we have in our Bible were put in by the translators to try, you know, and help break this up a little bit and make sense of it a little bit. But in, in the letter, there's no chapters. And so, so what we call chapter 13 flows right into chapter 14 in Paul's thought process where Paul Paul is saying, hey, love is the key in chapter 13. And without love, you don't have anything. So then in chapter 14, if you want to turn there now, Paul begins with this continuous thought when he says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Pursue love. The word pursue here in the Greek literally means to follow, to hunt, to chase after, and to do it with an intensity. So Paul is saying, I want you to pursue love, to chase after love with an intensity. In other words, make it a priority. Why? Why would he say that? Again, because the goal of the gifts, I'm going to tell you this 10 times tonight, because I'm going to make sure you get it. The goal of the gifts is the edification of the body of Christ. The goal of the gifts is for the profit of all. And the word that Paul uses here for, for love is the word agape, and it speaks of a, the love of God that loves and gives, seeking nothing in return. So Paul is saying, I want you to pursue that. That kind of love that you would want to be a blessing to others, not seeking anything in return. Not wanting recognition, not wanting adoration. No, I'm just wanting my heart, the desire. What I'm pursuing after is I just want to be a blessing to others because that's what love does. So Paul says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts And you know what's interesting? Many people do the opposite. Many believers, they pursue spiritual gifts. They pursue spiritual positions. They pursue spiritual prominence and they desire love. They get it backwards. Paul says, reverse that. Pursue love. That's key. That's number one. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Now, as we look at this tonight, talking about the gifts and their place in the church, we're going to discover that Paul really wants us to pursue three things, to pursue love, to pursue understanding, and to pursue order. So that's going to be our outline tonight. Let's look at number one, pursue love. He says, verse one, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So Paul begins here by giving a contrast between two gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues. And there is a huge distinction that he makes. He tells us that the gift of prophecy is directed towards men. 
Whereas the gift of tongues is directed towards God. That's an important distinction to make. He tells us that prophecy edifies the church. Whereas tongues edifies the individual. It edifies the individual believer. So here's the thing. Think about this. If edification, which is the building up of the body of Christ and profiting others, if that is the goal, which of those two gifts, prophecy or tongues, is best? I'm, I'm asking. No, prophecy. Why? Because prophecy edifies the church. Okay? And that's the, that's the goal. Okay? You got to get this. The goal is the profit of all. Okay, so Paul's saying here in the verses that we just read that tongues edifies, builds up you, the believer, but prophecy edifies the church, everybody. So the best gift, the the one that is prominent, Paul is saying, and this is why he says, you know, to pursue prophecy is because that edifies the church. The word prophecy derives from a Greek root, which means to cause to shine. And it's linked with the prefix pro, which means before. So this is what prophecy really is. It's to cause God's word to shine before God's people. And in the New Testament, this shining forth is more of what we would call a forthtelling In other words, it's declaring God's truth. It's preaching God's truth. It's seen more in that way in the New Testament than a foretelling. Yeah, a foretelling. Foretelling is predictive. Foretelling is, is more future events. And we see that a lot in the Old Testament and a little bit in the New Testament. Obviously, the book of Revelation is a prophecy of foretelling. But all throughout the New Testament, we see the gift of prophecy functioning as a forthtelling, a declaring, causing God's word to shine before God's people. Now, look at verse 3 again. This is really a key. He says, the gift of prophecy speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. These are three key words. The word edification means to build up. It's really an, a, a word that's used in architecture, and it's the idea of referring to the establishing of a building. It's, it's making it firm. It's building it up. It's making it, it sturdy. And Paul talks about in the book of Ephesians that that's the goal of the gifts and the, and the offices that God gives to the church is so that the body, it becomes stable, not tossed to and fro. So this gift of prophecy is, first of all, it's about edification, building up, making steady or, or stable. The second word he uses is exhortation. That means to stir up. It's literally the, the word parakaleo, from which we get the word um, parakletus, um, which means pr- to call to one side to help and to admonish. It's the same idea that's used in speaking of the Holy Spirit. He's the parakletus, called alongside to help us. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm going to give you a helper, the paracletus. Paul's saying this is the same idea. It's to stir up. It's to come alongside someone and stir them up in the Lord and to encourage them. And then the last word he uses here is the word comfort, which means to lift up. 
to counsel, to stimulate is the idea. So the ministry of prophecy is to build up, to stir up, and to lift up. That's what the gift of prophecy does in the body of Christ. So when someone comes and says something weird, and believe me, it happens, okay? I've literally had this happen on the night before leaving for a trip where I'm going to get on a plane that somebody in the church came and said, I had a dream last night about you that you got on a plane and it crashed and you died. Um, Okay, (laughs) that is not prophecy, okay? (laughs) That doesn't build up, that doesn't lift up, that doesn't stir up at all, okay? But that has happened. That's probably bad pepperoni pizza is what that was. It wasn't the gift of prophecy. Here is what the effect of the gift of prophecy is like. Maybe this has happened to you. Have you ever been in in that situation where you ran out of gas? And you're on the side of the road. You're trying to push your car, you know, up to the gas station. And along comes somebody, you know, that gets out of their car and they're helping you push. Or they go get gas and they bring it to you to get you going again. Well, a word of prophecy works in much the same way. It's like you come here to a Bible study and you're kind of like out of gas. And you're worn out and you're defeated and you're just kind of flustered and frustrated. And what is taught ends up being exactly what you needed to hear. And it just like fills your tank. Or you're in a conversation with somebody. And the same kind of thing. You're just kind of, you know, in a perplexed state and place and they start just sharing with you they might not even have a clue what's going on you say you know what I read this today and it just really really blessed me and they start sharing with you and in that moment God is using them bringing forth the word of God is being declared it's shining forth in that conversation and it's exactly what you needed to hear and it builds you up and it stirs you up and it lifts you up that's what prophecy does that's how it works in a in Bible study, it's often, you know, it happens where it's that specific word from the Lord that somebody needed to hear in that moment. It happens in counseling. It happens in conversations. Now, what about the gift of tongues? What is it? What is it for? Well, let's first of all discuss what it's not. It's not the ability to pick up a language quickly, okay? That's not what the gift of tongues is. Now, that is a gift, you know, I know, in fact, we, we heard a few weeks ago from Nick Cady, and Nick Cady, you know, moved from Colorado to Hungary, and he picked up the, the, you know, Hungarian, which is a very, very hard language, really, really quickly. Um, Greg Savolka, who was in my high school group, and we sent him over to Yugoslavia, now it's Serbia, which is an even harder language, and he picked it up. Those, that's a gift. You know, I, I've, been, I've, been over, I've been to Russia. I've been all over the Middle East or Eastern Europe. I've been to various parts of the Middle East. I, I can't remember anything except maybe the bathroom, you know, how to say it in, in those, you know, places. And it's a shame, but I do not have that gift. So that is a gift, but that's not the gift of tongues, okay? The gift of tongues is speaking to God in a language that you don't know. And you do that by faith. It's a gift that God gives to believers. 
as part of a prayer language, a praise language, and you take a step of faith in believing that God is giving you now this gift. Now, I'll be honest with you. A lot of times in your brain, it can sound like gibberish. It seems foolish. Like, what am I doing here, you know? But in faith, you, you, you know, you believe. Okay, I, I, I'm, I'm getting, you know, I tell people this. Who, you know, once they've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, it's like, hey, if you start just, you know, in your time of prayer, in your time of worship before the Lord, you start getting phrases in your mind, you know, come in your mind, that's probably God giving you this gift. Use it. Just start saying those phrases. And here's what's interesting. I've known people who have thought, you know, I think my prayer language sounds like Japanese. They don't know Japanese, but they meet somebody who knows Japanese. And oftentimes, I know in my prayer language, a lot of times there's certain phrases that I tend to, you know, say over and over again, you know. And one of my friends who thought it sounded like Japanese met somebody and said, hey, um, does this, do you, have you heard this phrase, you know? And they said the phrase, that's part of this prayer language. And sure enough, the, the person um, said, yeah, you're saying I praise you, Lord. And so sometimes, yeah, today you could probably do that on the computer. You could probably, you know, the technology that we have there, you could probably find out what that is. But, but here's the key, okay? Paul tells us, and please catch this, this is really important. Don't miss this. Paul tells us here that tongues is directed to God, not to men. Okay, so who is tongues directed to? God. Good job, class. Um, so it's really a gift that is, is to be used. It's meant to be used in, in personal use, in private use. And if it is used in the church setting, it needs to be accompanied with the gift of interpretation. And this leads us to the next thing that Paul's going to tell us to pursue. And he wants us to pursue not just love, Love, we pursue love because we, we understand, hey, the, the goal is the profit of all. The goal is edification of all. So in love, I want to be that person who just wants to be a blessing to the people around me. That's what love does and says. But he also wants us to pursue understanding. Look at verse 5. He says, I wish you all spoke in, with tongues. Now, why would he say it? Because that's great for you. The gift of tongues, it edifies you, Paul says. Tongues edifies the person who's speaking it. It's his spirit connecting with God's spirit in a very supernatural type of a way. Paul says, I wish you all spoke in tongues. That's great for you, but even more that you would prophesy. Why? Because that's great for the church. That builds up everybody. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with a tongue unless. Everybody say unless. Unless, indeed, he interprets that the church may receive edification. Now, this is interesting. Paul says here, I wish you all spoke in tongues. That means not everybody does. Now, why is that? I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. There are opinions I'm not even going to go into, but... Um, 
We're not sure. We'll find that out when we get to heaven. But he says in the church setting, prophecy is better by far. Why? Because everyone gets edified when somebody's speaking forth a word of prophecy. And the only way that tongues is beneficial in a group setting is there's someone there who's able to interpret. So that interpretation then gives forth the understanding. That's what Paul's wanting us to get. Hey, we want to pursue understanding. Now, here's an important thing to note about interpretation. When a person is speaking in tongues, who are they speaking to, God or man? God, good job, class. All right. So the interpretation is going to be directed towards who? God, good job. You guys are getting it. All right. Now, right, the interpretation is going to be something about God. It's not going to be, listen, it's not going to be someone saying, oh, my people, thus says the Lord. Now, that might be a prophecy, but it's not an interpretation of tongues. Why? Because when somebody says, oh, my people, thus says the Lord, what they're doing is they're speaking to men. Okay? The interpretation of a tongue is always going to be directed towards God. It's going to be something about God. And that's one of the most common mistakes that, that happen in relationship to the gifts of the Holy Spirit and their operation in the church is somebody speaks in tongues and then whoever is leading does what they should do and they say, okay, we're going to pause right now and see if somebody you know, has the interpretation of that. And then somebody will say, oh my people, thus says the Lord. And again, that's not the interpretation. Because that's a word that's directed towards men. And Paul just said, hey, when somebody speaks with a tongue, he's not speaking to men, he's speaking to God. So the interpretation is going to be directed toward God. You with me on this? Okay, all right. So the interpretation is going to be in the form of really, I, I think, projecting praise towards the Lord. In fact, keep your place here in 1 Corinthians 14. Turn over to the book of Acts. So go to your left, a um, few books, chapter 2. In chapter 2, we see what happened when the Holy Spirit fell upon the, the 120 disciples that were gathered together in this upper room. And they began to speak in tongues. And it caused a commotion. When we pick it up, I want us to look at verse 5. This is key for what we're going to talk about tonight. It says, And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, so they heard the sound of the wind, and they hear 120 people all speaking in tongues. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are these not all get out? Galileans, how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? 
Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia and Judea and uh, Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and, and parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. So these are all the languages that are going on in that upper room, okay? On this moment, on the first day, this time this happens. But notice, I want you to catch verse 11. It says, we hear them speaking in our own language, the wonderful works of God. What are they doing? They're speaking about God. They're praising God. The New Living Translation puts it this way. And we hear these people speaking in our own language about the wonderful things that God has done. They're praising God. That's what's happening they're, pray, they're declaring the greatness of God and the wonderful works of God. And that is the nature of tongues. And so that's what the nature of the interpretation of tongues is going to be like as well. It's going to be directed towards and declaring the wonderful works of God. So turn back to 1 Corinthians 14 now. So Paul is telling us that proper understanding is key and the gifts are for the profit of all to build up the body. Prophecy speaks to men. Tongue speaks to God. Prophecy is for the entire body. Tongues is more personal unless, everybody say unless, unless it comes with interpretation. And because understanding, the reason why interpretation is key, because understanding is key for the edification of everyone to happen. Now, Paul's going to use three illustrations here to make his point on the importance of understanding for the edification to take place. And we see this beginning in verse 6 of chapter 14. He says, but now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Why? Because understanding is key. And when somebody is, you know, giving a revelation or they're giving, you know, some knowledge or a word of knowledge or they're prophesying or they're teaching, you understand that. Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what was piped or what was played and what instrument is that? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? And so likewise, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Here's the illustration. Paul gives. He begins with musical instruments, trumpets that call people to battle, and daily conversation. And he says, if the musical instrument doesn't give off a clear, distinct sound, nobody's going to recognize the music that's being played. It's going to be like, well, what is that? What, what instrument is that? And if the trumpet in battle is not clear, the army isn't going to know if they're being called to retreat or they're being called, called to charge. And there are many languages, Paul says, in the world, but if I cannot understand the language that's being spoken, who cares? What use is it to me? That's why when we go over to a foreign country, 
where they don't speak English, and we're trying to share the gospel in those countries, we bring or get interpreters. In fact, in Russia, this was such a brilliant idea that George Bryson had, is he went to the English school and literally hired English teachers, so they knew how to speak English really, really good, hired them to come and be our interpreters as we were declaring the gospel. Now, most of them, they, they weren't saved, and they didn't, some haven't even heard of Jesus, but guess what? They're spending all day long talking through us about Jesus, and most of them got saved through that. It was a brilliant, brilliant idea. But if we went and just started talking and preaching in English to all these people that speak Russian or Hungarian or what good would that be? In the same way, if I stood up here tonight and just spoke, you know, for 45 minutes in tongues, (laughs) that would be no benefit to you. You know, you might think, well, that sounds kind of neat for about five minutes maybe at, at the best. But then you'd be like, That's, this is weird. Like, why, what is he doing? You know, that's Paul's point. So Paul, in using these two illustrations, is basically stating that tongues are great. This gift of tongues is great. But if there's no one who can interpret, it's like being in a foreign country, which is very, very frustrating. Now, having said that, he reminds them again of the purpose of the gifts. Look at verse 12. Even so, you... Since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification. Everybody say edification. edification. Of the church that you seek to excel. Why am I repeating this? Because Paul is. Paul's repeating it over and over again because he wants them to get, what's the purpose of this? Is it so that you can have a cool gift? No. Is it so that you can be seen and people can go, oh, wow, look how spiritual he is or she is? No. It's so that the body is edified and built up and encouraged and stirred up. That's what it's for. So he says, let your growth in ministry and your desire for these spiritual gifts not be for you. That's not the goal, but let it be for the building up of the body. Therefore, for this reason, and he's going to give this, he's going to emphasize again the importance of understanding. Look at verse 13. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Not, not only would you not understand what I was saying, but I don't understand it either, okay? That's what he's saying. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit. And I will also pray with understanding. I will sing with the Spirit. And I will also sing with understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed, the person who has no idea what you're saying, how will he say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not understand what you're saying? He can't agree with you. For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. And again, that's the goal. The goal is others. So then Paul says this. This is kind of crazy. I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than you all. So Paul was very, you know, he used his prayer language a lot, in other words. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in the tongues. That's heavy to think about, isn't it? Paul says, you know, 
I, five words with understanding is a lot better than 10,000 words speaking in tongues. Why? Because the goal is the edification of the body of Christ. So verse 20 says this, brethren, do not be children in understanding, however, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. Now this is a little bit of a hard word or hard verse to understand um, in, in our New King James Version. How many of you guys use New King James? Okay, quite a few of you. Um, the New Living Translation puts it this way. Brethren, do not be children understanding, however, in innocence be babes. The um, ESV Version puts it this way. In evil be babes. In other words, hey, the, the, the goal here, you know, is, again, it's, it's not about you. You want to be innocent in that. You don't want to be, you know, pursuing your own thing. Be children. Do not be children in understanding. But in understanding, be mature. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet for all of that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues, now this is really, notice verse 22. Okay, pay attention to it. Therefore, tongues are not for a sign, or excuse me, therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but those who believe. Now, when you first read this, it sounds like Paul's contradicting himself. Like, what is he getting at here? By saying that tongues is a sign to the unbeliever. That doesn't like make sense. And prophecy is for the believer. This is where context is so important, okay? What has Paul been talking about this whole time, beginning in verse 5, as it relates, really it was in verse 4, beginning as it relates to the, the gift of tongues? What has he been talking about? He's been talking about tongues and interpretation, so putting them together. So when we read this, we really need to attach. You might want to write in your Bible because this is the context. This is the, the inference that Paul is, he doesn't say it, but it would, he's inferring that, hey, tongues, because this is what we've been talking about, tongues with interpretation is for the unbeliever. Now, why would he say that? How would tongues be assigned to the unbeliever? Well, we just saw an example of that in Acts chapter 2. All these unbelievers heard them speaking in tongues, these Galileans who they know, you know, these guys are like, the Galileans, just so you know, that, that, that's like Hicksville, that's like people from Bakersfield, you know, it's, it's like, it's like <laughs> if you're from Bakersfield, I, I don't mean to, you know, anyway, <laughs> but they were like the Hicks, okay, the people, the Galileans, they were the Hicks. So they were like the unlearned, in other words. So they're like marveling. How do these people know these other languages, okay? That's how they're, they're, they're marveling at this. So it was a sign to the unbelievers. Especially when Peter gets up and goes, hey, we're not drunk, and this isn't something crazy. But he goes on to say, this is what Joel said would happen in the last days. This is a move of God's spirit being poured out, and that's why you're hearing this. But... In fact, I, I have uh, my friend John Corson, long time ago, when he was teaching at the Bible College up in Twin Peaks, 
um, they used to do a Sunday night service um, up in Lake Arrowhead, and they did it in the um, restaurant of one of the hotels there. And in order to use that room, the hotel had this rule that the bartender had to be on duty. So picture this, okay, they're having a little church service in this little, you know, ballroom and, and the bartender would just be back there cleaning glasses and, you know, he had to be in the room. Well, on one of the nights they, you know, had after the Bible study some worship and they're waiting upon the Lord and somebody spoke in tongues and the bartender was Arab and he spoke Arabic well, somebody spoke in tongues and, and Pastor John did what you should do. He paused and he said, okay, we're going to just pause right now and wait and we're going to see if anybody has an interpretation um, of, of what was just spoken and nobody did. So then he said, okay, and this is what you should do. We're going to see this a little later in the chapter. He said, okay, I'm going to ask that no one else speaks in tongues. Well, at the end of the night, this Arab guy came forward and he said, um, that person was speaking in perfect Arabic. Do they know Arabic? And John was like, no, they don't know at all. And then he said, and this is what they were saying. And what they were saying was that Jesus was God. And the bartender got saved. <laughs> so it was a sign to this unbeliever. And also another way that tongues is a sign to the unbeliever is when there's an interpretation. When one person speaks in tongues and then they say, okay, you know, who is anybody have the interpretation? And somebody else interprets. And again, there's an unbeliever there who maybe knows that language. And suddenly, again, this whole thing that just happened is a sign to them of the realness of God. So, and they're like, how did those people know my language? So it's a, a sign, okay? So he says, therefore, tongues are a sign with uh, tongues, insert there, with interpretation, are a sign not for those who believe, but for to unbelievers, but prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Again, prophecy is a sign to believers because it's declaring of God's heart. The purpose, once again, it's to build up, it's to stir up, it's to lift up. Now, that doesn't mean, though, that the unbeliever can't be touched by a word of prophecy and the declaring of God's word because, you know, he's, he's convicted in his heart. He's pricked. And Paul's going to make this point in just a minute as we continue. But um, in this section right here, he's making this distinction so that they understand. So he says, pursue love. The key is to edify. Pursue understanding. That's how people are going to be edified. So, you know, I want to understand what's happening and how this works. And then the last thing he tells us is to pursue order. And he's going to tell us what this looks like in a group gathering. Look at verse 23. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues. Now picture that. All of us here tonight just suddenly all babbling, okay? There's no interpreter, just a free-for-all. And there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, okay? Uninformed, I have no idea what's going on here. What is this? Or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Okay, moment of truth. Who in the room has experienced this? I have. Who, who's experienced it? Okay, yeah. I've been in that setting before. And it's bizarre, right? It's like, what is happening right now? This is crazy. 
And that's what Paul's saying. They're going to think, this is, what, what is going on? They're going to think you're out of your mind. They're going to think you guys are crazy. All babbling and, you know. So he says, but if I'll prophesy, an unbeliever, or uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all. He's convicted by all. Why? Because the word of God, that's what it does. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. So he's convicted by the word of prophecy. His heart is pricked. Why? Because prophecy is speaking forth the word of God. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 that God's word is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it divides between the soul and the spirit, between the joints and the marrow. It cuts like a surgeon's scalpel. That's what the word of God does. It cuts and the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the, the uninformed or the unbeliever, he's, he's, he's moved by that. And then he's going to give us some specific guidelines. Look at verse 26. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together that each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation, let all things be done for, here it is again, what's the word? Edification. What's edification? The building up of the body. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there... Here's his guidelines, okay? If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two, or at the most three, each in turn. Not a free-for-all. Each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. So here's the order. Paul says... Regarding tongues, in a gathering, and here in our church, it would be a gathering maybe in a home group. It would be a gathering here where we might be spending a time where we're waiting upon the Lord and we're giving the opportunity for that. And we've had this happen before on some of our, what we used to call our first thing first night. Somebody would speak in a tongue. He says, let it be two or at the most three, okay, and he says, and let there be an interpreter, interpretation. So what that would look like here, if somebody spoke in tongues, and, and, and the person doesn't do that, I'll explain why in a minute, like in the middle of the Bible study, okay, no, it's on a time of waiting on the Lord, I would pause, or whoever was leading that meeting would pause and say, okay, we're going to just pause right now, we're just going to wait on the Lord, and if somebody has this gift of interpretation, we want them to speak. And the interpretation, if somebody had that interpretation, the interpretation would be directed to who? God. Good job. God. It would be something about God, something that would be telling us about who God is and his person, or some form of praise or speaking forth, the wonderful works of God. And this is why the gift of discernment that Paul talks about, we looked at that in chapter 12, is so important because we need to be able to discern. Now, if there's no interpreter, Paul says, then who's ever leading would be instructed to say, okay, let's keep silent. There doesn't seem to be somebody here tonight with that gift. Now, this is interesting. I want you to catch this. This would indicate that the person with the gift of tongues has control. Over it. It's not like this uncontrollable thing like the Holy Spirit just got a hold of my tongue and I didn't know what was happening. No, they have control. They can speak or not speak. That's what he's saying here. So those are the guidelines for tongues. He gives us the guidelines for prophecy. 
Verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let, let him first, or let the, the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints. So here's his guidelines for prophecy. Let two or three prophets speak. So two or three words given. And they're to be judged. They're to be proven. How? Well, by using the word of God. To by, by using the definition. Are these words that are being spoken, do they build up? Do they encourage? Do they comfort? Or are they tearing down? They're to build up and stir up and lift up. And again, the prophets have control as well in, in their speaking. But I think verse 33 is key. He says, for God is not the author of confusion. And I think what this means is that these words are not going to contradict each other. They're going to flow. They're going to build one upon the other. They're not, it's not like one person's coming with, you know, this message that is this great encouragement. And I've actually been in this kind of setting as well, where, you know, somebody gives a great word of encouragement, and then five minutes later, somebody gives a word that is like, you know, you're all doomed, and, and you know, judgment is coming, and, you know, it's that type of thing. And it's like, wait a minute, these, these words aren't going to contradict. Now, sometimes there's a, a place for a, a strong warning that mean, might need to be given. But the idea, God's not the author of confusion. There's going to be a flow of the Spirit. And I'll just say this. This comes with learning to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And it comes, and and we can give room in settings like this to make some mistakes. And that's, again, where the person who is leading a gathering like that needs to be able to say, now, okay, we just heard two things that are contradictory to one another. And we need to now, Paul says that we're to judge this. You know, what is the Lord saying here? And does somebody else have a, a word, you know, that is, is going to, you know, flow with one of these? Or, you know, that type of thing. And it's, a, it's that type of process and just seeking to, you know, allow the Lord and the Holy Spirit to move and to work in that type of way. Now, the final thing that Paul is going to mention here, in a lot of ways, just seems like out of left field, out of left field and unrelated, but it really isn't because the, 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 the whole point here is order, okay? Look at verse 34. I know all you ladies have been waiting all night for this one. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive as the law also says. But if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for, the women, for women to speak in the church. What in the world is Paul talking about here? Now, we learned, if you were with us several weeks ago in chapter 11, that Paul talked about women praying in the church, women prophesying in the church, and he said that was okay. He didn't put that down. He didn't say that that shouldn't, you know, happen. So obviously, that's not, Paul, what Paul is not saying here is that women shouldn't speak at all, okay? That's not what he's saying. In order to understand this, we need to really understand 
the setting of that culture. And I think the phrase here, when he says, your women keep silent in the church is really a key. Look at verse 35. He says, and if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for the women to speak in the church. The early church followed the pattern of the Jewish synagogue. And in the Jewish synagogue, men sat on one side and women sat on the other. And they did that so that, you know, the men wouldn't be distracted by the women. I guess by their beauty or whatever, you know. So they separated them when they came together. And we don't do that. We just sit together. And if you, as a wife, have a question, you know, that something you maybe are not understanding or you didn't get or what verse was that, you know, you just whisper like, honey, what, what, what verse did he just say, you know? Or you might text. What verse was that? You know, that's how we communicate right now, today. Um, or you might write a note. But in that culture, husband's on one side of the room, the wife is on the other side of the room, and the women apparently were doing things like this. Hey, honey, what was that that he said? Like totally interrupting and, you know, the whole thing. Now picture that, if that started happening, you know, where all of a sudden one person is just like, you know, one gal, hey, hey, babe, do you agree with that, what he just said, you know, kind of thing? That's what Paul's talking about here. So that's why Paul says, let the women keep silent. But he, notice he says, let your woman, who's your woman, your wife, And that's why he says, and if a wife has a question, let her ask her husband at home. Because it's a shame the way women are calling out in the church. That's the point. That's the idea. Again, the context is guidelines. It's order. It's everything flowing. It's not being confusing. And he wraps this up in verse 36. He almost anticipates the reaction. Or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it you only that it reached? And and there's a a bit of satire here. You see Paul's sense of humor here because um, recognizing that there was a tendency among some in in Corinth to think that they had unique revelation. So Paul says rather sarcastically, did the word of God originate with you? Are you, you know, the kings and queens of, of revelation? Are you the only ones that have received it? And he says, if anyone thinks of himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandment of the Lord. In other words, truly, don't miss this, truly spiritual people are those who are always recognizing the authority of the scriptures. Truly spiritual people are those who are always recognizing the authority of the scriptures. That was, an important, that was important in their day and it's important in our day as well. Because we have people today that want to claim special revelation. But when the special revelation goes against scripture, we know it's not of the Lord because the Holy Spirit is never going to contradict scripture. So if your feelings are saying one thing and the Bible is saying something else, who do you go with? The Bible. Not your feelings. Okay? Very, very important. 
the word of God is superior to our emotions. It's superior to our experiences. Okay, a lot of times people create their theology by their experiences and it doesn't line up with scripture. No, the word of God is superior. Verse 38, but if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Literally, if anyone be ignorant, let him be ignored is the idea. They're not willing to learn. They just want to do their own thing. They want to say, well, I had this experience. But it doesn't match up with scripture. He says, just let them be ignored. You know, don't get, don't give into that. Don't pay attention to them. Don't get caught up in needless conversations or lengthy debates. And Paul's going to close with a couple of key thoughts here. Verse 39. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues and let all things be done decently and in order. That's the key. And I said this before, you know, in some churches, they love the part of that verse that says, let all things be done. And it's crazy. And it's a circus. And then you have other churches that are, you know, decently in order. And so they quench, you know, everything. We want to be a church where all things are done and they're done decently and in order. That's God's way. And, you know, all the gifts, and we've talked about this before, that Paul mentions here, they happen on a regular basis here, except for maybe, you know, those speaking in tongues. But they happen on a regular basis here um, in every time we get together. There's words of wisdom and words of knowledge and words of prophecy. It happens in conversations that, that take place here. That it's, it's, you know, we have to get out of our mindset that this only happens in afterglows. No, it really happens in everyday life as people are just being open to being used by the Holy Spirit. God can give you a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge or God gives you discernment. All the things that Paul mentions here that we talked about in chapter 12 happen all the time as we want to be and are seeking to be just people who are in tune and being led by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and and God, we do, in this day and age, in this time that we're living in, Lord, we want to be people walking in the Spirit. Lord, we want to be people who are people of the word, not our emotions, not our feelings, not our opinions. Lord, we want to be people who are moving in a daily basis, not in the natural, but in the supernatural, We want to be people, God, who are pursuing love but desiring spiritual gifts. Why? Because we want you to use us to build up others and encourage others and to to stir up others. That we, in our friendships and our families and in this body, would be mature fruitful followers of Jesus. So Lord, we ask these things tonight in Jesus' name.